This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The big question we asked earlier today, are you a good negotiator? Maybe even a more important question might be, is are you authentic in your negotiations? That's the question posted by Corey Cuffer in his book, Authentic Negotiating. Corey is managing principal at Cuffer & Associates, which is a law firm that works with entrepreneurs and corporations and tries to accelerate their growth. And he joins us on the show right now. Corey, welcome. It's great to be here, Dan. Thank you, sir. Uh, So I, I get the sense from the book that there is, and, and I don't think this would come as a surprise to anybody, that there is a level of dishonesty going on out there in these negotiations, and maybe even more than people would think. Well, so there's two things, Dan. Uh, one is uh, I, I look at it as inauthenticity or manipulation, right? right? A lot of negotiating training, unfortunately, is based upon game playing. And not only is it inauthentic, but it actually doesn't really work, especially in higher level negotiations. So the, you're, in your book, and obviously the, the subhead of the book kind of lays out three of the keys that you think are important uh, to this process. Clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. Go through them a, a little bit at the top, and then we'll uh, really dig into them here in just a minute. Sure. So that brings us to the other part of authenticity, which is being authentic with yourself. Okay. So it's not just about being honest with others. It's about doing the internal work to make sure that you are trued up to what you really want. So the first piece of that is clarity. I'm amazed at how often people go into significant negotiations without the level of clarity they need to be sure on exactly what works for them and what doesn't work for them in the negotiation. And that takes external research, but it also takes a lot of internal work to get to their inner truth. We're talking with Corey Cuffer. The book is Authentic Negotiating. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. The the clarity part of it was interesting because I guess you talk about it and also the fact that really it it needs to be something that doesn't include ego that much. Yeah, so in my experience, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, um, it's not People don't fail in negotiation because they don't know some tactic or counter-tactic or technique. Where they fail is because of the things that come up with them emotionally or internally. So ego is a big one. And ego can show up in that sort of boisterous, you know, I know better, I'm not listening way. Or it can show up in that way, you know, if you look at ego as somebody's true identity, which is not necessarily true to who they are, sometimes it shows up in people not fully owning their value, their ego their identity of themselves can't really hold their value and they give away too much in negotiating. Well, then to a degree, it becomes a weakness, right? Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, for for me, the best negotiators you see not only have that clarity, right, but they'll be able to maintain detachment. And when you're, you know, what detachment means is that if you and I, Dan, are negotiating a deal, I should have probably have a preference we get the deal done because why am I spending my time talking to you? Right. But ultimately, I need to be detached to the outcome. I need to say, hey, what are the objectives that I've gotten clear at during my clarity process? Can I meet those objectives in this deal that I'm negotiating with Dan? And if I can't, that's okay. No hard feelings, right? You're not a bad person. 
It's just that your objectives and my objectives don't happen to meet at this time. Right. So I'm okay. Like, I have a preference we get the deal done, but I'm okay if we don't and there's no hard feelings. So my ego is not engaged. I'm not upset with Dan. I'm not upset with the other party. I don't have judgment around it. I just know that your objectives, my objectives don't meet right now. I trust that we will either do a deal in the future or maybe we won't. Or that another deal will come along from someone else. Or that... It's just not meant to be at this time, and it's all okay. So that's the detachment part. You you talk a little bit in this book about about emotions and and the role that emotions can kind of play in this process, and and playing off of that, that you you have to kind of pull emotions out of the process uh, in order to be uh, successful in, the, in negotiating. But I, I find it interesting because, and you run through a couple of examples in the book, but if you're doing a deal that's got a value of one hundred and fifty million dollars. Sorry for me. That's a that's an unbelievable thing to be able to do that without emotion in it. Absolutely. And listen, I'm not saying this stuff is easy. Right. Okay? Yeah. What I'm what I'm saying is, and and listen, I, there's you know an example I give in the book where actually a couple of examples, but one big one where I was personally tested. Yeah. Uh, and it's easy for me to give advice to clients to say don't be emotional. And it's easy even for me to negotiate my own deals when when there's not you know when when there's not that much emotion involved, when it's just a business deal. Um, but it's, it's actually key because he, here's the thing. Um, in order to maintain that clarity and detachment that I talked about, if you let your emotions get away with, from you, you're going to lose your objectivity. Not only are you going to potentially give off the wrong, say the wrong things and, 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 and cause problems with the other side. Yeah. But you're going to lose your clarity. You're going to lose your connection to your truth. You're going to lose your connection to what you want to achieve out of the deal. So, yes, easier said than done, but I do give uh, some examples in the book on how to do that. Um, One thing, the first thing I would say to people is, listen, before you go into a negotiation, take the preparation time that you need. Too many people skimp on that. Yeah, yeah. And do what you need to do. So for some people, the way they get centered, the way they get clear, the way they get connected to their truth just in life, is maybe they meditate or they pray or they go out for a run or they speak to you know, friends and bounce it back and forth. Or, or maybe uh, some people some people are more analytical. They do spreadsheets and they figure it all out. But whatever it is you do to get clear and to get centered, you need to allow time for that before every significant negotiating session so that you're much more likely not to get triggered into emotions. So that's one of the ways you can do it. Uh, the the fact that there are people out there, and I guess sometimes you you get into a situation where you just are not able to prepare enough for whatever reason. But the fact that that people don't take the time to prepare prepare enough really surprises me to a degree. Uh, yes, it's and, and like I said in, in the beginning, it's not just on small stuff. I mean, I have people who go into multi million dollar negotiations, multi billion dollar negotiations. And they don't prepare. And part of it is, you know, it's interesting. There's a few things that come up. One, I, a lot of my clients are entrepreneurs. And I'm an entrepreneur. And, you know, there's, there's great things about being entrepreneurs. But one of the things sometimes we sometimes do is that we are so confident in ourselves or we're so willing to just go for it. And we, and we think we have this ability to wing it or to shoot from the hip or, you know, we'll figure it out. And that's a good quality in a lot of situations. But in a significant negotiation, that quality, that often has us convince ourselves we don't need to do the necessary preparation ends up hurting us, especially 
when we're doing more significant deals or dis- disputes and we're up against people on the other side who have a uh, high level of skill and experience in negotiating. Should there be any difference in being a negotiator when you're with a startup in comparison to being with a corporation? And notice I said, should there be? I, 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 if I asked it as, is there any, I would say, you know, probably the answer is no. Yeah, so, so, so here's the thing. Knowing what position you're in, like having an honest understanding of the landscape, whatever the difference is, is important. And one of the things that happens with startups, for example, is that, that sometimes there may be an assumption that, hey, we're early staged, you know, when negotiating for capital or when negotiating with uh, vendors who may be hesitant to, to work with us or for partners. And we may feel like we have less leverage. And listen, no matter what, no matter how good of a negotiator you become, and no matter how well trained you are, leverage still counts, right? Yeah. But if you if you if you practice if you learn how to be a great negotiator, you'll be better no matter what the leverage is. So I don't want to make an assumption that if you're at a corporation, you have more leverage than a you know big corporation than at a startup because right. it's not necessarily always true. But knowing the landscape and knowing where you are is important to help to, to, um, design your negotiating strategy. But I wouldn't make the assumption. I mean, I, I deal with this all the time with earlier stage companies or, you know, where, where let's say they have a big opportunity with a bigger company. And they, the problem they run into is they think they have no leverage. But what I always say is, listen – if that company or even that, that, that venture capitalist, that funder is sitting down with you, they at least have an interest. And there's a million other people they didn't sit down with. Right. So just, just by that fact, you have some leverage. You have to understand they're interested. So you want to take that into account. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call if you'd like to join in and ask a question of our guest, Corey Cuffer. Uh, the book that he has uh, written is called Authentic Negotiating, 844-942-7866. Uh, getting back to leverage for a second there, how successful can you be if you're the one not necessarily with the leverage? Well, so so the first thing is what I said just a little earlier, which is that you never have no no leverage, right? Right. Yeah. You always have some leverage if you're at the table. So that's the first important thing to remember because too many people forget that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Number two, um, you if you are clear on your objectives, right? Like talk about clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. So right. if you practice that then you're going to be in a much better position to be successful even if you have less leverage. Right. Um, because everybody always at least has the leverage to walk away from the deal. And again, I don't mean that from some place of anger or upset or ego. I mean that from a place of clarity because even if you are in a position where you have a lot less leverage, if you are clear on what will work for you what work what won't, what won't work for you in a deal, right? If you are a, uh, a brand-new software developer and – you have an opportunity to meet with Google and sell your product or service to them. Yeah. And this would be the biggest thing that ever happened to you, right? The fact, one, the fact that they're meeting with you means that they're interested. Number two, you still want to be clear on what you're willing to do and not do. So, for example, if they, and I'm just using it, right, that company's example, it could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if they say to you, hey, we want you to work for a year for $1, Right. That deal might not be acceptable to you, by the way, right. it may, but 
But the point is, there's a point at which no matter how good the opportunity is, no matter how big, you know, the other side's leverage is over you, that the deal's not going to work for you. And just getting crystal clear on every term of the deal and what works and what doesn't work actually gives you more leverage for a couple of reasons. One, you know what won't work for you, and you're going to say no matter how big the opportunity is, thanks, but no thanks. And number two, when you have that level of clarity and confidence, it actually gives off an energy, right, to the other side where they become more interested. Yeah. If you go into a negotiation from a place of scarcity or from a place of desperation, they're going to sense that, and not only will they negotiate a better deal for themselves, but frankly, they're much more often less interested because they you don't instill the confidence in them that whatever you are selling, bringing, developing, partnering with them on will be valuable to them, that you'll be able to deliver it, and that you're confident in it. So having that confidence yourself actually increases your leverage. Corey Cuffer, our guest, the author of the book, uh, Authentic Negotiating, 844-942-7866, if you'd like to join us with a question or a comment. Uh, we, we've talked about some of the reasons already why these these negotiations will fail. You list six of them in the book. And one I wanted to touch on, which kind of we haven't really discussed a lot yet, is rigidity. And it's something that uh, I think when, when people think about it, they, they – they understand that being rigid in, in a negotiation is kind of a – it can be a tough thing to get a deal done to begin with. But I wanted you to explain in terms of what you're doing exactly what you mean by, by rigidity. Sure. So rigidity can show up in a few different ways. Um, one is and – I, and I see this – You know, one of my roles is uh, I'm, I'm an attorney, so I represent clients as an attorney in deals and that kind of stuff. Right. And I also do negotiating training and speaking. But so as an attorney, I see this where sometimes other attorneys uh, are very rigid as the structure, right? They know how to do things in a particular structure, um, but maybe that structure for tax reasons or other reasons doesn't meet the client's needs. And then the deal falls apart because they, they're not creative enough. Um, I've had clients even come in. I, I, I relate a little example in the book where I had a client come in to me one time and said, hey, Corey, you know, I want to sell my company. I want to do a reverse triangular merger. And I said to him, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I, I know I, I've done reverse triangular mergers. I know how to do them. But why? Do you, well, my friend did his his uh, sale in a reverse triangular merger, and it worked out great, and he uh, saved a lot on taxes. I said, so I said to the client, listen. What we want to do is look at where you are today, what your objectives are, and what you pay me for is to help with the structure. Do you really care about the structure? Right. What you care about is achieving your objectives. And he recognized that, and we actually ended up not doing that deal as a reverse triangular merger. We used another structure. And so, so, so fortunately, he wasn't rigid as the structure, so that's one way. The other thing is rigid as, rigidity as the timing. Um, one of the things I talk about when I do talks about deals is that there's a, there's a rhythm and a pace to a deal. And when right. you're a good deal maker, um, you, you understand that rhythm and pace. And you don't want to artificially push it too hard. Right. And you also don't want to artificially slow it down because you can lose momentum. You know, if you push too hard, you can push the other side away. And if you slow it down, you know, people lose interest because the deal's not moving forward. Right. So some people come in from a place either because, let's say, they're desperate for the deal, so they push it too hard, or because they're not enough focused enough on the deal and they go too slow. And if you have any kind of rigidity about oh, you know, the time and you don't let the natural pace of the deal run it, then that can hurt you as well. 
Uh, and then, of course, there's rigidity on any particular you know term of the deal. And here's where I want to draw an important distinction because a lot of people bring this up. I always talk about having clarity on your objectives and knowing exactly what works for you and doesn't. And that could seem like it's the kind of rigidity because, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. But I think, I think having that clarity is crucial. What, is, what doesn't work is having a rigid view of how to get there in the negotiation in any way because there are a lot of possibilities that may come up if you're open to them. It, the, the the last uh, reason on this list is lack of integrity, and, and I wanted to ask you how you kind of get past that because that that seemingly if you're trying to deal with somebody that has a lack of integrity, it, to borrow the old line, it is a deal breaker, is it not? Yeah, I mean, and it often should be. And I want to talk about two types of lack of integrity. One is lack of integrity on the other side, meaning that people are dishonest, you can't trust them, and that kind of stuff. And uh, and I agree with you. Listen, if that's really prevalent, uh, then that's probably somebody you don't want to do a deal with. Because, one, most deals, there's some sort of, or a lot of deals, there's some sort of ongoing relationship, right? If you're you know, hiring somebody or you're doing a distribution deal or you're raising capital from investors, you're going to have to deal with these people. Um, and if somebody doesn't have integrity, that should be a deal breaker. Um, now, what happens, though, sometimes on that, is that sometimes people interpret other people not having integrity, and it may not be the case. I'll give you a quick example of that, and then, and then I'll talk about the other half of lack of integrity. Um, okay. One of the things I talk, talk about in the book is dealing, how you deal with inauthentic uh, negotiating tactics. And one of those tactics is um, what they call quivering quill, you know, which comes from the old uh, word for the writing instrument, the quill, the pen, right? Uh, and it's it's where somebody asks for, like the deal's fully negotiated, everything's been negotiated, you think, you go in to close the deal, and the moment before signing, somebody asks for a concession. And in a lot of cases, it's proper to interpret that as an inauthentic tactic or, or the other side not having integrity. Right. But there are certain cultures where that's just part of the cultural approach. You know, nobody nobody's doing it because they're... You know, and there are certain cultures. So if you, yeah. you know, I don't get it a lot. I mention it. I don't get it. There are books, full books written on cultural differences in negotiating. Yeah. But if you know that's a cultural difference, then you may, uh, you know, that, then you understand that. If you don't, you may interpret it as a lack of integrity when it's really not. It's just part of the culture. Um, so that's one half of um, lack of integrity. There's another half I talk about in the book, if you want me to discuss Go it, ahead. which is about integrity with yourself. Yep. So everybody looks at it's an easy place to go is lack of integrity on the other side and say, hey, I don't want to deal with those people. Right. But the thing that's less looked at is when you when you don't have integrity with yourself, and I'm not even talking about that you're a liar or you're dishonest. I'm talking about integrity, the definition of integrity where you are true to who you are. Sure. There's an yeah. integrity, there's an alignment, right, with your truth. And because a lot of people don't do the necessary work or are unable to get in contact with their truth, sometimes they're out of alignment. They're out of integrity with their truth. And the problem is, if you're not 100% clear on what you really, really want and what's true for you, right. then you can't design a negotiating strategy around that. You're designing a negotiating strategy around something else, around something that's not really true for you. And then you either end up with a deal that doesn't that you think works for you and doesn't, or you realize at some point along the way that you're out of integrity with yourself 
And then you need to adjust. And the problem is that you have uh, approached it a certain way with the other side. They've gotten certain impressions. You've gone down a certain path. And now you first have to change course. And sometimes that can cause trouble. You also talk in, in this book, and, and this is the one that, that be, being somebody that hosts a talk show, uh, kind of drew my attention immediately. Uh, you talk about people that talk too much uh, in, in meetings. Uh, obviously, I haven't talked, I think, too much in this interview, but still, it becomes a problem when somebody, sorry, doesn't know when to kind of close the mouth. Yes. Um, and. You know, I talk about that coming from usually one of two places, right? Some people talk too much out of ego. You know, it's that blustery kind of I know better than you, uh, you know, kind of uh, drive to talk too much. Right. And the other time, times people talk too much, it's almost the opposite, where people lack confidence. You see this when somebody comes in for an interview and they're really nervous and they blabber. You know, they just go on and on because they're, it's nervous energy. And wherever it comes from, it's really not useful in a radio interview, right. in a meeting, or certainly in a, uh, in a negotiation. Um, first of all, when you talk too much, you're probably giving away uh, you know, too much uh, information. Not, not, not that you're trying to hide anything, but you're, you know, you're not realizing what you're saying, and you're not coming from a strategic point of view. The other thing is, clearly when you're talking, it's really hard to listen. And listening and asking up and asking follow-up questions in a negotiation is such a powerful approach because it's amazing how people will generally tell you what they what they really want if you ask the right questions and if you really listen if you're paying attention not only to what they say but of course their body language and then I talk about in the book that we have even have these microfacial expressions that give off information, right. but if we're not paying attention to other people and sensing their energy and what they really want, then because we're talking too much, then we miss all of that. You finish up the book uh, talking about a, a process called CPR, which is not you know pushing your hands on somebody's heart to revive them, but it, go into <laughs> what, what actually your version of CPR is. Great. So CPR, in, in my version for negotiating stands for context, purpose, and results. So let's take the last one because it's easiest for people to understand. Right. Um, and this is something I have people to do in writing, right? You, do, you really write this out. So the results are the specific measurable results you want to get out of a negotiation, right? You know, you want to pay this or no more than this or less than that. You want, you know, this will be the term of the deal, whatever it is, right? Those are easy. People understand that. And, and some people skimp on those, but a lot of people will, will list what they, you know, the results they want. But what they don't do is the C and the P. So let's talk about those. So, and I'll go and work up in reverse order. So the P is, is, is the purpose of the negotiation. So it's the right. why, right? So why are you in this negotiation? And what I encourage people to do and what I do for myself is to really dig deep on that. So let's take a quick example, a small example. You know, you, you're going into um, – uh, request a raise from your from your boss, right? You're negotiating salary. Sure. And the easy thing to say is, oh, my purpose is to get a raise. My purpose is to make more money. Um, but if you ask yourself, right, there's this great five why thing that they used to do at uh, at, at Honda, right? Right. right. Um, which is you you ask the five, you know, you keep asking why. So, well, why do I want to get a raise? Well, 
Um, well, you know, we can really use more money, my, my family. Well, why? Well, I've got a kid going, going to college. Well, why is that important to you? Right. Well, I never had a, I never had the opportunity to go to college, and, and it really makes a difference to me for my kid to be able to go, you know, have a better life. Than yeah. Me. All right. Well, now we're getting, you know, now we're getting to the why, right? You know, it's re- that's really different than, hey, I'd like to make more money. Then, you know, I want to have the opportunity to send my kid to college that I never had. Um, so when you get really clear on your why, it gives you clarity on uh, on those results that you want, and it gives you clarity on, 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 you know, why you're in the negotiation. So then the next step is the C, which is the context. Right. So the, the context for me is what I call the being. It's who's going to walk, who are you going to be walking into that room? And the question you ask yourself is, in order to achieve my purpose, what does my context need to be? Or in order to right. achieve my purpose, who do I need to be? And I give a whole example in the book of a big negotiation. I want to get, get into detail, but let's just say there's a difference. And, and Corey, and, I, I I hate to do yeah. this because I am up against it. And at the end of the show, and if you I don't it. get out in ten seconds, they're gonna they're gonna hang me by a, by a string. So I apologize for that, Corey. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. Great, great being here, Dan. Thank great you. Here. The book is authentic negotiating. We'll see you tomorrow on SiriusXM. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.